This is Tell Your Story. Today I'm speaking with John Kim, aka The Angry Therapist. I want to do this justice, but I'm not entirely sure what that means. Usually I would tell you to skip over if you don't want to hear the intro and get straight into the conversation, but I do feel that it's important to listen to what I think is important about John Kim, aka Angry. Perhaps it's just that. A therapist who calls himself angry. A therapist who rides a motorcycle. A therapist who shares his feelings. A therapist who, instead of saying you should, says me too. A therapist who is both masculine and feminine. A therapist who says, I don't know. These aren't the things that we usually hear from a therapist. And so for many of you, this might be off-putting. But I do think that there is something incredible in the fact that John Kim refuses to conform to what a therapist should be like. He is who he is. Angry came from the time in his life when he went through a divorce. Instead of stuffing those feelings down, he decided to blog about them. Angry. That's how he felt. And he moved through that pain, the trauma, the grief, the looking around at all the broken pieces and asking the question, who am I? Through that process, not only did he help his clients, he helped himself to better understand the man that he is today. If we're talking about labels, he's a licensed therapist, he's a life coach, he's an author, he has a podcast, he co-founded a life coaching program called Shift. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could have talked about, but here's what I know. I know that in doing the workshops that I do with both men and women, I come across far too many single people who are amazing, want a relationship, and yet cannot, for the life of them, meet the person of their dreams. And let me say that by dreams, I'm not saying the one. I'm not saying forever till death do us part. I mean a person with whom that they can have a connection. And that's what John talks about. The lack of connection, the lack of honesty, the lack of vulnerability, authenticity, truth, the lack of showing up exactly the way that you want to be. To be seen, to be heard, to be loved, but to know how to create that container. What are your non-negotiables? What are you willing and unwilling to accept? Who do you want to be? And who do you want to be with? I have a feeling that this particular episode in the Tell Your Story podcast series is going to be quite popular because John Kim's unconventional way of thinking about relationships and dating is a must listen. For one, he changed the way I think about relationships. I always believed that I couldn't start dating until I was healed. But what does that mean? At which point am I healed? At which point am I ready? At which point have I gone through the process so that I can begin a life with someone? Safe space, a word that I had not heard of in a relationship. That is the difference. Within a safe space, when someone provides that for me, I can both continue to grow on my own and with someone. What a beautiful idea. There's a lot here, so I won't say anymore. Here's my conversation with the angry therapist, John Kim. about where I wanted to start this conversation. I guess I'll start with this because for myself, once you choose to kind of speak your truth and 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 lead with your story, I feel that there's this like expectation for you to have your shit together sure. and to also kind of fall in line with what people 
assume for you to be as a person who offers help and you know can be of service so the idea that a therapist can be angry kind of doesn't fall in line with what a therapist is supposed to do so was there in any way for you you know I love that initially when you were writing your blog everything was ended with just angry it was just signing off angry right (laughs) what but but it doesn't it doesn't mean that I was angry um I, so the this idea of the angry therapist, you know, first I, I called myself that because I thought it was kind of the irony of it is kind of funny. Um, but on a deeper level, it just makes me human. So it's like this idea of humanizing the therapist. I, w- I mean, I admit I was angry in my 20s. Um, I was very unhappy and uh, reactive and angry and, you know, a child. Um, but I'm, I'm not angry today. I'm not like an angry person. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. But it, it is interesting that, you know, I think we assume that a therapist or someone who's a life coach or anything in that field has to be perfect. And in fact, like you just right. said, you are human, right? Yeah. And I think, I think the happy therapist is less interesting because there's something false about that, you know? Um, I mean, not that therapists aren't happy, but I think that, I think that, uh, a, a, a lot of times, especially, uh, therapists, who go through the uh, clinical route, um, we're trained to uh, portray our, our ourselves in a way that um, is very neutral or very, you know, non-humanistic. And um, I get why we have to do that, but I think that the world isn't interested in that anymore. I think the world's interested in people who show themselves. Mm-hmm. Who are authentic, I would say. Yeah, authentic, real, and uh, flawed, and uh, unpolished, and raw, and you know, there's so much truth in that. And especially with social media today, and with filters and all this stuff, I think the world can smell bullshit. You know, I think the the world uh, can smell if you are uh, living a false life, and especially if you're in the position of position of helping people and setting an example, um, you you can't get caught up in that veneer. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So take me back to you know, when you originally first started your Tumblr page, you know, there was different ways in which you were kind of telling your story, but you're also letting us into the world of some of the the people that you were working with, um, speaking about, you know, some of your patients and, and telling their story. So I, I, I did want to maybe ask you about that. I mean, at a certain point, like, are you questioning whether you're revealing too much? Um, no, I always right in the point of my perspective, I will never mention names. I just started documenting. So uh, revelations I had as a therapist, as a uh, uh, someone who was helping other people. So I was running groups, I was working with um, eating disordered clients, I was working with uh, people uh, going through uh, rocky relationships. Mm-hmm. And I learned, you know, and this is the other thing about this field is the, the therapist slash life coach learns sometimes more in the session about themselves and has revelations about their own life than the client does, you know? Right. And so I just started to, to, to write about it. So I, I'm wondering if you can, can you walk us through a little bit of how this marriage ended, why it ended and, and why, unlike most men, I think, I think stereotypical of men, when you assume a guy goes through a divorce, it's like, all right, I'm going to be single. I'm going to just, you know, go out and meet a bunch of girls and, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But it seemed like you had the opposite reaction. Yeah, that was not the case in my situation. Um, I, you know, I got married early. We were both pursuing entertainment. I was a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. She was an actress. And um, that that world, I think, is really difficult to have a relationship in in the first place. But uh, you know, I think it's just. 
two people growing apart. It wasn't a bad thing. We weren't throwing chairs at each other. We were just in uh, very different spaces. Uh, she started getting successful. I started to get um, depressed and angry, and I was frustrated with my own life. I was, um, you know, bringing it back to me and my story. I was, um, I was chasing. I was chasing shiny things, and I wouldn't allow myself to be happy unless I had the, you know, the Porsche Range Rover combo in the horseshoe-shaped driveway and the three-picture deal and my idea of what success looked like. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, you know, I was very close to a lot of things. I had some success, but it wasn't where it didn't match the blueprint of what I wanted. And because it didn't, um, I was in a very chasing state. I was miserable and I was depressed and I was talking to my own therapist. And um, he said, if you can't make movies, what do I do with your life? And I said, I want to do what you're doing. If I can't move people by the masses, mm-hmm. I'll do it one at a time. And so as that happened, I actually, I got a divorce and, you know, it, listen, it's like divorce is like, um, for me, it was the, probably the, the most painful thing I've ever gone through, but, um, it was the most important that that was kind of the first domino that led me down a different path, you know, and if it wasn't for, uh, starting my life over and, and, um, being on a path of connecting with myself and, and all that, I would, I think I would still be a boy, you know, mm. I think I would still angry and um i wouldn't have a lot to to offer the world <laughs> um or, or relationships i've just learned so much it, it was like you know i feel like there's two there's two john kims and um the pre-divorce was the child you know the the big ego the whatever and then the post john kim is is my rebirth and you know being someone different you know as a woman as i'm listening to you speak if i were in your ex-wife situation and i heard this and this this is me projecting my own insecurity, I'm sure. But what I hear is, was I not good enough? Was I not able to kind of lead you into the space of, of being, you know, gro- growing from a boy to a man? Like, how did I not serve you? So I guess my question really is, did it take her specifically to kind of nudge you into that direction? Was it the, the demise of the relationship that nudged you towards that direction? Or do you feel that maybe had you stayed in it and done the work, if there was any work to be done, that you would have eventually evolved into the man that you are today? Um, I don't think that marriage was fixable and it wasn't because anyone did anything wrong. I think we just grew too far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and uh, we we're both young. Um, it, it wasn't, it was, you know, it was her wanting to uh, divorce, you know, it wasn't, wasn't, um, necessarily me leaving, um, for a certain reason. It was, uh, just, a, 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 just a slowly uh, fading apart. It's one of those things where you wake up and you don't know each other anymore. And when you start asking why and all that. So, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if, um, if the, if she's, I don't know if she's reflecting on it in a, in a, what did I do? you know, that made him stuck or what, or what, or who could I have been to make, make him more of a man? Maybe she had those conversations during the relationship. And if she did, um, my unawareness, you know, didn't allow me to see it, hmm. but yeah, I mean, you know, every relationship is so complicated. And I always say that, uh, to redefine relationship as, as expired instead of a breakup or a divorce, because there's, there's, uh, that stuff is lined with guilt and shame and failure. Mm-hmm. So I really believe that relationships are meant, and this is a choice, you have to believe this, I really believe they're just meant to go as long as they're meant to go, um, not a day more or a day less. And I think that mm. um, it's the richest soil to learn things about yourself and love and other people, you know? It's interesting that you say that because I think for a lot of people, they don't understand that nor do they want to hear that. You know, they're yeah. not supposed to go longer or shorter than as long as they're supposed to go. Because, you know, with things ending, there's this, 
failure attached to it. Yeah, we, for some true. reason, see that the end of a relationship is failure, but in fact, it's an opportunity. You know, I'm a firm believer of people enter into your life to not teach you a lesson, but to, mm -hmm. to further deepen your awareness of who you are as a human being. Sure. So I guess maybe we can kind of segue into as you stepped out of that relationship and you had to realize who you were as a man. I mean, how, you know, that's something that usually is taught or at least kind of mimicked after your father. Maybe can we talk a little bit about yeah, for sure. your male mentors or someone that you looked up to or didn't? Yeah, I, I, I didn't have any. And um, so when I started working in nonprofit with teenagers, I learned something real quick and it was the absent father. I learned mm. that. So all of them, and I, I probably um, treated, I don't know, two, three hundred, you know, they would come in batches and it was residential. And I spearheaded the family support group. And so the thing was, it was all women. <laughs> there were no guys. And if dad was there, he was in the back dozing off or eating donuts or something. And I realized that we live in a fatherless nation. And because mm -hmm. dad's not home, either physically or um, emotionally, we grow up a certain way. And the women, the girls were standing too close and the guys were mimicking everything I did. And um, there was just a lot, and I, and I think a lot of these kids, they were, you know, of course, they're experimenting with drugs, they're having sex, they're doing all these things. And a big part of that, I think, is um, because of the missing father, uh, especially for men not having a clear definition of what man looks like, mm -hmm. you know. And so I've become very passionate about men discovering themselves, you know. And I think especially now today, um, especially with like swipe culture and dating and all this stuff, you know, I write about love and dating and relationships. I think men don't have a clear definition of what it looks like to be a man. And mm -hmm. I think that ripples into dysfunctional relationships. And then also uh, women get confused because, you know, they end up being in things that, um, I don't know, are toxic or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, so, th so there's, a, there's a, a generational thing happening. So what is so what is it like? So let's say maybe n not take your case in particular, but any guy who didn't have that father figure. I mean, when you say a fatherless nation, I mean, I can certainly relate to that. You know, I had a father in my life, but he wasn't emotionally present. And that left a huge kind of gap and misunderstanding of what what and how I relate to men. Mm. And I, I can only imagine, you know, I have a younger brother, how that's going to shape him. So and right. that's someone who's physically in the house, but emotionally not. Right. So how, and, and how, how did that how did that ripple with you and your relationship with oh, men? I mean, it, it the pattern continued. You know, I went for a streak of emotionally unavailable men because that's all I understood and knew and couldn't even fathom anybody different. And on top of it, it's a, it's a it's an interesting psychological battle that you go through because as much as I desired and craved to be seen and loved, if someone heaven forbid were to see me, I'd immediately push them away. Right. Right. So so it is in fact kind of this like very crippling behavior and. So I'm wondering, maybe you could speak on this for young men who are listening. How do they start defining or building a foundation for what it means to be a modern day man when they don't have a great example of that? And also when, I guess, media also kind of bombards us with these ideas and images of who we should be. So like, what would be your definition of a, of a self-aware man and how does one reach that? Wow, I, I think there's so much in uh, defining uh, what a man looks like. And listen, I'm not I'm not going to put my definitions on anyone else because you know who am I to say that those are? Uh, it, it's basically 
defining uh, your own version of what a man looks like based on your story and your truth. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the things is I think boys react and I think men respond. And it's, it sounds very simple, but most men are a walking reaction, you know? Um, I think boys don't have the tools or ability to create a safe space. I think men do. And that means being emotionally available. That means being uh, vulnerable. That means communication. Um, that means, you know, creating a space where she feels safe, you know, and safety doesn't just mean that you're not punching someone in the face, like, like safe to be her safe to, like you said, you have, um, you know, it was difficult for you to show yourself because if you did, you would push back. But I wonder if you or uh, anyone's ever created a safe space for you to show yourself. Right. Mm hmm. And if and maybe if they did, and especially if it was early on, then you you would have a stronger muscle in that, right? Right, of course. I think you know, in all of this, part of the issue is that I don't think people recognize that this takes work, right? So, yeah. so taking yourself out of your habits and patterns that you've really deeply ingrained based on the upbringing that you've had, it is constantly kind of being a having that awareness that that is who you are, and then b practicing it on people who who kind of nudge you to think a little bit differently. But but getting yeah. to that place of self-awareness, I think, is quite difficult. Well, you, you don't get there unless um, shits happen. You don't get there unless mm. you go a divorce or unless you lose, you know, I don't know, your children or something happens where you hit rock bottom um, and you're faced. Because why? Why would you? Because most people, if they're, in their, if they're comfortable, they're not going to work on themselves. You know, that's why... Um, people go on their journey when um, when shit hits the fan or when you know they go through a breakup or they lose a job or they lose their wife or their kids or something happens where they're like okay maybe it's me and so if you are a guy and um, or you're a boy and you never had any kind of um, rock bottom or any kind of really big shakeup in life then you just cruise through life without change and suddenly you know you're a 30 year old child you know mm. um, and also there's this there's this thing with patterns so like if if you, you know, a lot of times we're attracted to what smells familiar. So if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're raised in a, uh, and your dad's an alcoholic, you know, or something, or you are um, raised in a space where um, dad is not emotionally available to you and you're very thirsty for that, then when you grow up, you may gravitate toward men who are, un, are uh, not emotionally available. And, you know, and we all know how that plays out, right? And mm -hmm. then, that is a bad experience. And then we point the gun at ourselves and we wonder what's wrong with us. Mm -hmm. And that leads to a, a myriad of things, including, you know, eating disorders and other all sorts of shit. And then we become afraid, right? And then, so we just build, uh, we just dig a, a, a deeper moat around our castle. And then we're um, not able to love hard. We're not able to show ourselves because we are now holding up a shield. And so I think, you know, pattern after pattern, that stuff happens. And then we kind of harden as people. Mm -hmm. So the way that we have to break that p pattern is give ourselves new experiences. So, you know, when, when uh, using your story as an example, when you or maybe you're a habit, if you find someone who's able to create that safe space for you, right? I call it a container um, where you start touching a stove that you think is hot, but then you realize it's not hot and you're able to lean into the person and the space and be vulnerable and realize, oh, my God, this is what this feels like. It's uncomfortable. I don't know if I like it, but then you keep swimming in that direction and then you actually start changing where the old repulses you and the new is now your standard. Hmm. And then who you used to be attracted to, the unavailable, unemotional guy, um, you could smell very fast 
and you're now repulsed by that. And now what you're attracted to is something more healthy, which is, you know, a guy who's vulnerable or a guy who's able to create a safe space for you. And then that becomes the, the you know, and then you guys grow together through that. And then right. you evolve as a person. But what if you don't have somebody who creates that safe space for you? How do you do that on your own? Um, you create a space for yourself, you know, and I think, um, you know, a lot of, you know, this whole idea of dating yourself, um, I, I think there's truth in that as long as you're doing something that's very proactive in um, connecting with you, but you will find someone that, I mean, you, 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 you make it a non-negotiable, you know, you don't get into anything unless that guy has that ability. So it just becomes a standard. It's not like an option. It's not, it's like, it, it's, it's the base model. You right. know what I'm saying? I guess, you know, maybe I wasn't trying to veer towards this direction, but maybe I will because we keep kind of running back to it in, in, you know, in using my story, let's say. Yeah. Why did you roll your eyes? <laughs> you, yeah, you I do? don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I rolled my eyes. Um, yeah. it, because I'm probably annoyed of my own story. That's why. Mm. Um, I I've you know as I I've mentioned and I everyone who kind of reads or or listens to this podcast I've been in recovery for an eating disorder for now it's almost been 4 months and you know a lot of it has stemmed from that idea of a father hunger and there's a lot of other things that come into that idea and so part of it is this self-love right so trying to sure. to cultivate the space of self-love and for me specifically I'd say I don't want to necessarily even venture towards a potential safe space with someone else before I've I've cultivated sure. something for myself. So I guess yeah. that's what I mean. Like how how do I attain self love? You know, one of the biggest questions that people ask me all the time is, well, yeah, I mean, it's easy to just say that, like, take care of yourself, but like, really, what can we do to get to that place of self love? Um, it's, it's a journey. It's not a light switch. It's a practice. And, and I do want to say that I don't think you should hold off on, um, colliding with other people hmm. until you hit a certain point, because I don't know, what does that look like? So what if, what you're going to be single for, you know, five years or for, I, I don't think you should put dates or I think you just kind of like spin two plates. You know, I think you're always working on yourself. I think you're always going to practice self-love and that means being kinder to yourself. That means self-compassion. I think it means self-connection. So I talk a lot a bit about, um, I just did this TEDx talk and it was about resiliency and it was about, um, I, I believe true resiliency is the connection you have to yourself. So after my divorce, um, I started to get very curious about John Kim. Like who is John Kim? What does he want? What does he like? Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I got some tattoos. I bought a motorcycle. I did things that um, I wanted for me that I wouldn't allow myself because I was too concerned about other people, making other people happy. I, I found CrossFit and I found the uh, the 12-year-old uh, John Kim who used to you know spit on his head and dad just to come home throw books at me and tell me this isn't why we came to America. And I I found, oh, I started writing again. So I, so I started blogging and so I connected me, I pulled out the side of me that I stuffed into a hope chest when I quit screenwriting um, because at the core I am a writer. And so I ignored that. So I connected with me there you know, the, the buying a motorcycle, making that a lifestyle. And that was just for me. So connecting with the 14 year old who used to, you know, putt around in his scooter, lawnmower engine scooter in the eighties. So all of those connecting with me is self-love. It's self-love in, in practice. It's me listening to my voice and not exchanging my truth for membership, you know? And, and, um, I was in the club uh, world in Hollywood back in my twenties uh, and thirties running a restaurant bar club. I was very scenic. 
and it was completely living this false life where I was exchanging my truth for membership, you know? That's it's interesting that you put it in that way because I think it is it is true like that is the definition of conforming to societal norms, right? Yeah. But you bring up kind of the inner child which I find fascinating because part of my original journey into stepping into finding myself was reconnecting with my inner child yes. and remembering what that was. So I've I've now noticed that I'm quite sensitive <laughs> which I didn't know before. Yeah. And that, and, you know, and ex accepting it, embracing it and loving that sensitivity part, you know? Like right. I think that um, sometimes growth is more about a reunion than anything else. And I think when life happens, and we all do this. We always, you know, we, a lot of times, I don't know if you had to grow up fast or if something happened, but usually there's a point in our life where we take parts of us and we lock them up, throw away the key, and then we have to grow up, you know? So we, we then use logic. We, we're in fight or flight. And I think self-love or building yourself a safe space starts with you going back, opening that hope chest and connecting with that part of you that... That you know, and and I think that's what's going to make you whole, and it, and I call it the swirl, and it, because it's no one can separate your color, and then it makes you um, more potent. You live on a higher frequency. You bring more to the table in, in, in everything you do, your relationships, your as a friend, as a lover, as a teacher, as a coach, as you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're talking about playing more. You know, like as kids, it, it could we were. Be playing, right? yeah. I mean, it could be playing. Sure, it's curiosity. Yeah. You know, turn our dial from judgment to curiosity. Um, and it could be playing, but it's not just playing. It could be um, anything. It could, it's just that relationship you have with you that you have lost. Yeah. Right? So how does, so it's, okay, so this is interesting because for me, you know, as I'm thinking, it's like, okay, playing is one term, uh, curiosity is another, dreaming, kind of having these, you know, what do you dream about? What do you, what do you like set kind of this grand scheme for yourself of creation? Mm. So I'm curious, like, how would this younger generation that is so glued to their to their phones, that is so glued to social media, who aren't really using their hands anymore and aren't really reading facial expressions anymore, like, how how do we how do we deal with that? Yeah, I think it's it's um, <laughs> I think that it's topical. I think it's happening in dating and relationships where um, all of the, you know, the beauty of, of, of the internet and social media is it connects us instantly. Like right now you and I are, are connected. We're in different States. Mm -hmm. We're Skyping, but we, it also disconnects us because it not only disconnects us because we're able to hide behind filters and computers and all that, but it disconnects us with ourselves, mm -hmm. right? It leaves room for us to, uh, not, um, have a authentic relationship with us, not connect with us, you know? Um, and, and, and also seeing everyone else out there, there's this huge comparing, right? What someone else's life looks like. And it's probably not an accurate life, whatever they're portraying, yeah. but, um, then, you know, looking inward, wh wh why, why don't I have that many followers or why doesn't my life look like that? Why aren't I traveling or et cetera? And so there's a lot of room today to, uh, self-bash, mm -hmm. which is the opposite of self-love. Right. And so we really have to make an effort. Um, if social media and all of this that's happening is really uh, separating you from you, mm -hmm. you have to be aware of that and, and maybe detox from it and connect to you again, you know, whatever that looks like. So let's talk a little bit about dating. Yes. What does that look like both in your maybe personal life, but also as you because you portray a certain type of message through your social media, yeah. but also maybe as you work with clients, like what are you seeing right now? I'm So what I'm getting uh, a lot from clients and from um, um, people who follow me in emails and all that is everyone, that dating is dead, that, that dating is 
difficult. No one likes dating. It's a, it's a, it's a really, it's a bad experience. And I think it's because of swipe culture. I think it's because, um, and I just wrote this article about dating being dead. Um, so when I, before the internet, um, when I was in my twenties and I went on a date, it was like, I washed my car. I lined up CDs and my changer. I was excited. And you know, of course you had to like actually ask a girl out. It wasn't like you, you just DM them or something. I, you actually, you know, had to have the courage to meet them mm -hmm. in person. I would go buy movie tickets uh, and be, so we wouldn't have to wait in line. So I would do all these things. I'd make it an event so it would felt, it, so I got excited about it, right? And whether the, the date was good or not didn't matter. It was, it was, uh, it was my mini prom or whatever, you know. I think today dating is they're just it's so casual and they're just meetings. It's like Uber there, and we're not going to do dinner, but we'll do a drink because because if, if you're not who I think you are, or you don't look the way I think you're going to look, or, you, or the way you presented yourself, I don't want to spend an hour with you. So you know, it's a quick meeting, it's a coffee, and then there's a lot of judgment, and then there's also expectations because if you're meeting online, um, unless you've been talking to them and skyping for a while, you're only you're only um, seeing their pictures, and their pictures are probably going to be better than because you know everyone can take a great picture, right. and so you're going to enter already probably uh, more disappointed than pleasantly surprised. Um, and also we have no patience. So like now we're judging people on superficial things and we're not actually getting to know them. So we are, we're not peeling an onion. We're just like, it's like a, it's like a, a what's it called? It's almost like speed dating business transactional takes the magic out. It takes the excitement out and then it just becomes a numbers game. You know, why do you feel that this is happening right now? Uh, because the technology and because of, um, the, uh, the, 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 the temperature of the mindset of the, the generation uh, that's coming up who, who they've all been and it's not their fault they've been raised by instant gratification right they've been raised by uh, photos and filtered photos and and, and having pics and, and making a, a, a swipe left or swipe right and they haven't been been um, forced to put themselves in, in uncomfortable situations where they have to work for something mm. so like walking up to a girl and growing the balls to like say, hey, would you want to go out with me? They don't have those tools because they can hide behind their phones and just message them or you know show them a photo or whatever. And so I think also when when the date actually happens, there isn't a lot of um, conversations because I don't think people know how to talk these days. They don't. But but don't you feel that or there's connect. yeah the I mean connection is an entirely different thing than talking. And I'm I'm not even sure that people the younger generation really knows how to connect beyond this like kind of superficial level. But don't you feel that rejection can still occur through a screen as well? Uh, more so. Uh, that's the other thing. I think we're, um, we're, a, we're, we're there's a space where we're rejected uh, on all these levels now. So before, you're only rejected if the person doesn't want to go out with you or says doesn't want to give them, uh, your, you their phone number, et cetera. Now, you could be rejected by, you know, um, on not being text back. You could be rejected by... Uh, so if you message someone, they don't respond. If they don't like you, if they don't follow, like, oh, there's so many, so many little rooms um, to be rejected in. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think all that rejection makes people scared. Yeah, well, because it hurts. I think it it stems from again your childhood. You know. Yeah, and when you're scared, you don't show yourself. So we have now we have a lot of people who are afraid, who have been hurt, and who are not showing themselves, but want love and want to be in a relationship. So like, how is that? You know, so then we have just people bouncing off each other instead of really connecting. So I have to kind of speak for other women here. Um, I don't necessarily align with this thought, but I know a lot of women who would say this. Mm -hmm. um, they would say, well, John, 
I don't know any men like this. Like, I don't know any men who really want to connect. I mean, I can tell you from my own personal experience of like living in New York. Sure, I made I, I met a lot of interesting men, but no one has the intention to settle down. And and I can say from my perspective, like, why would they want to? They have a crop of new women mm. coming in every year that they can choose from. So that makes me sad. <laughs> it makes me sad. So 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 all the the men that you met in New York when you were you know going dating and stuff, what did they want from you? Just a physical thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. I mean, it really depends. I think it's not even that they want from me. It's like they can have physical from one girl, kind of a more emotional, intellectual with another girl. They can really play the field, and and I can say to them, well, sure, why not? You know, they're they're young, they're attractive, they're successful, um, they're wealthy. They really can do that, and a lot of times women show up, kind of turning a, a blind eye and saying, well, I don't really care that he's, you know, with other women because maybe I'll end up being the one type of thing. Right, but then that's on the woman because uh, you have to have uh, standards. You have to have non-negotiables. And if someone is saying, well, you're just going to be one color in my box of crayons, that shouldn't be uh, okay with you, you know? And so then you, you find someone who who's going to um, make you their one, mm -hmm. you know? You find someone who has everything that you're looking for. And listen, I don't, by non-negotiables, I don't mean preferences. So like, if you're like, I will only date someone, you know, who makes six figures is six, two blonde eye, blonde eyes, blonde hair and blue <laughs> eyes. That's a preference. That's not a non-negotiable. I think that's being narrow. I think a non-negotiable is someone who's able to create space, someone who wants monogamy, if that's what you want, someone who doesn't react, but responds like those are solid non-negotiable. And you know, it's hard enough to build a relationship but when you have those non-negotiables, it's so much easier or you're going to build on sand, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I really think that if, if you don't set yourself up for these experiences, you're going to cement those old false beliefs. And so I have a lot of women who are sick and tired and now they believe there just are no good men out there. They're like, fuck, man, there's none of them, you know, it, it, because they keep having these bad experiences and they keep cementing, you know, it's like, oh, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. So you have to give yourself a new experiences where you start redefining um, your definitions and you start proving yourself wrong. So it's interesting that you bring that up because I've been having a lot of conversations with both men and women and I hear the same thing from both sides mm -hmm. where, you know, there's not enough men or there's not enough good women or et cetera. And it's like, okay, well, so clearly there's some kind of a disconnect where there's clearly a lot of single people who can offer a lot of different things, but for whatever reason, they're not, they're not meeting, or if they are meeting, they're not attracted to one another. So I guess like the question then is, is it partially because we're always kind of thinking, well, what if there's something better along the way? And like, what is forever? And what does marriage look like? And do we need to get married? And you know, what about polygamy? Um, I feel like there's so many options right now that I yeah. don't know that people really know what they want, maybe? Yeah. I think a lot of options, and there are so many options these days, I think a lot of options leads to confusion, you know? Um, I th and I think you have to just eventually just pick a lane. You have to decide what you want, what matters to you. Um, I believe, and this is just opinion, many people may disagree, that I think that, you know, to hit high notes in love, that you, that for me, I have, I can't be with five people. I can't be, I have to be with one person because it takes so much to invest in, in, and you know, well, I mean, you know how relationships are, like it, it's, a, it's really hard. So um, to hit the high notes of love, uh, and, and I'm, I try to love as hard as I can, 
could only do it with one. I can't have, I can't share my heart with five different people, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But if other people can, then that's, that's their definition. A part of it though, I think too, is this idea of settling. I mean, how do you look at that? What would be your what would be settling like for someone? Um, and, and this is interesting because I've come full circle. I've always been in relationships, you know, two years here, three years here. And this is the first time in my life that I've had like a long stretch of being single. Um, and and I have I have like told myself I don't know anything. I want to be a student to love and I want to start all over, you know. And so when it comes to things like settling, I think that if I, so I think if someone is just good on paper, it's not enough. You know, if someone's just logical. So, like, I believe in, and you know what? A lot of people think it's Santa Claus, or a lot of people think that, okay, well, John, you're going to be lonely forever then. I am holding on to and I'm chasing magic. And, and, and it's not 90%. Like, you know, the, the good on paper, the foundation, the legs, and all that has to be there. But there's that, like, unexplainable, you know, 10, 15% where you can't even define it, you know, and it's intuition. And it's like, it's something that you just have this feeling. And I've gone all over the place where I didn't th- think that existed. I've made choices based on, um, you know, fuck the magic. That's stupid. That's a movie. And um, now I just feel like I need that. I need that that ten percent of magic. So for me, settling is ignoring that piece and getting involved in something um, because it makes sense. And but the person doesn't blow my socks off. So you, you know, you say magic. I think magic is different for everyone. Yeah, of course. But I will say to you, for example, I used to think that butterflies in my stomach and kind of this anxious feeling was a good thing. I have since changed my mind on that in, in, in that, um, I don't, I don't think that someone who is romantically interesting for me should cause me to come out of my comfort zone and my balanced kind of peaceful space Mm -hmm. that in fact, that's a red flag if I have like anxiety over it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I, and I do feel like this idea of romance and that magic is, is very much in line with that, those butterflies, anxiety, etc. versus this kind of like, not completion, because I don't know that we are ever, I don't know that you should to, to want to be completed by another person, but something that just feels like an add-on do you know what I mean? Like it just kind of adds on, but it doesn't necessarily become you. Um, yeah, I um, uh, just okay. So real quick, I think there's a difference between anxiety or someone's kind of setting off your fight or flight, and there's something about this that that you know you may be you may be very sexually drawn to someone because it's exciting or it's what you know, right. but it's unhealthy. So th- I get all that, and I think there's a difference between that and butterflies. I think butterflies. And also, you know, in the honeymoon, in the early dating, butterflies may be there. But, you know, butterflies don't, they're not every day. I mean, you're not, you know, I think they come and go. And I think chemistry fluctuates. So um, people who like say, oh, yeah, you know, the chemistry has faded. I'm out. I think they're leaving way too fast because chemistry is going to fade. And love is a choice. And you have to build that. And you bring chemistry back. And, you know, if you're, and the thing I think is also the problem with um, people today, and, and it's the, and me, including myself, I got this tattoo, Love Hearts, as a reminder after my last relationship. I think we leave too fast. Uh, when the chemistry phase or something doesn't go our way, then suddenly we bounce because we know that we have options. And I think that's, that's irresponsible. I think that's lazy. Um, if you want to hit the high notes, you have to stay in it, stick in it. I mean, look at our parents. You got to like work your fucking ass off. And, 
and you and you you could sit on top of the Grand Canyon one, one day and this is the image I was going to say I saw this ad I think it was a, on a yogurt ad it was two people sitting on top of the Grand Canyon they're like 80 years old they're in two separate bathtubs and they're they're like looking down at the world and they've come a long way and the only thing that's connecting them and it's shot from the back is they're holding hands but I love I love this image because I think it's what healthy looks like like they're not in a jacuzzi right they're in their own they're in the, their own like bathtubs and they're facing the same direction and they're connected by their hand and i was like that that's like that's kind of my visual of what a healthy look, uh, relationship looks like is two people coming together with their own lives as complete people and you know complete fluctuates so as we go through our journey you know we have our own stuff but two people coming together with their own lives deciding to share their life together it's not two people yes, turning I, into one. It's so wild that you say this because I've been saying for years, I hate this phrase of two become one. And I always think that it should be two people walking yeah. alongside one another. Yeah, absolutely. There's this other thing that I talk a lot about and it's, I, I call it, I wrote this years ago and, it, and it's just from my observations. It's called chemistry is predictable. And there's this other stuff that's happening underneath that we don't know. And this is what I'm talking about. So like if you take an addict, right, you take a, um, first, let's take a female, um, and this is what I call prey. Uh, it's when she it grows up with something taken from her, and it could be like it could be her virginity, but it could also be like her voice. It could be her self-esteem. It could be her growing up with an iron fist dad. Something was taken from her. She, it sets her up and it wires her and it gives her uh, this almost like a prey dynamic, right? Then you take a boy who um, has addiction in his blood or his grandparents or his dad, or maybe he's an addict and he's explosive, but he's also charming. He's also, you know, um, has all the characteristics of, of an addict, um, but he's also uh, uh, unsafe, right? But there's something exciting about him because he's, you know, I love you, get away. He's unpredictable. And, and something about that makes him, this is what we call the bad boy. And if you put those two people as adults in a room, it doesn't really matter what they look like, they end up together. Mm. It's this weird dynamic and he can smell prey and she can be, and she will gravitate toward this, this quote unquote bad boy. Now, so what do you do if you're a bad boy or if you're a prey? It's, it's not that you can't be with a, a quote unquote bad boy. It, it just, you just have to be with someone who is on a path of evolving and becoming a better version. So for example, I am that, I am that predator. I am that bad boy, quote unquote. But I've also, that was me, but I'm also um, hopefully a little more self-actualized and I've been through therapy and all my shit. And so I, I could be with a prey and it could be a really healthy relationship, mm -hmm. right? But that wiring comes from, um, so my dad's uh, an alcoholic. I have an addiction in my blood. I can tap dance. I could convince you. I could be all those things, but I could also create, uh, and this is my 20s I created. I wasn't a safe, I didn't create a safe space, you know? Right. Now at 44, I can, but I still have that kind of, um, weird subconscious tug and I could smell a prey in a room and there I could I could sense the connection hmm. it's, it's interesting like instinct. yeah it's interesting because I think that when we talked about earlier and you mentioned it again the safe space right and also that like uh, figuring yourself out and and figuring out someone else is not does not necessarily need to be mutually exclusive like you can kind of run both circles at the same time right so mm -hmm. if anything it's almost like it's going to help it's going to exactly. help you by, by versa. Yeah. It's going to exactly. support you, sharpen you. And that's why when people are like, you know what, I'm not going to date until, you know, I find myself or until I'm at some level. Um, I don't think that's, that's why, I mean, if you're a complete quote unquote mess, then yeah, you should be alone. And you know, if you've been in something really toxic and you need to be alone, you need to go on your eat, love, pray journey, do that. But 
I think that if you find someone Right. And, and, and also maybe even like kind of mimic those things that cause you to be fearful. Like you said, yep. like be that hot stove, but actually not burn you. Right. You know? Right. So it, what's interesting to me is after I read your article about dating being dead, I kind of annotated it and wrote my own thing. And I agreed with majority of it. And I wrote at the end kind of like being nice is sexy because I have so many guy friends who just like end up with no one because they're too nice. I, I don't think being nice is sexy. I think being really? kind is I think there's a difference between nice and kind. Okay, can you so explain? I, yeah, I think if you're nice, and it's very subtle, and people might be like, John, what the fuck are you talking about? If you're nice, um, you might be 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 nice because you want, you're exchanging that for something else. So you want to be liked, you want to be, you know, you, you're exchanging it. So, so you're actually not giving, you're taking. Mm. I think being kind, is consistent. I think you're, if you're a kind person, you you are quote unquote nice, but you also have you stand on your truth, and you're not, and you can say no. Mm -hmm. I think nice people have a hard time saying no because they don't want they want to be liked so bad. I see, kind of like people pleasers. Yeah. Okay, it's very subtle. It's very subtle, but I mean, but but yeah. the premise of it of just like being a good person, so which would essentially entail a man to be more kind of vulnerable and raw. But, you know, as we talked about a little bit, but it, that doesn't really fall in line with what it means to be a man. Like men mostly are supposed to be macho and, and yeah. unemotional and kind of stoic. How do you encourage men to step into that vulnerability? Um, number one, by example. And listen, I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, I have ego. I have a lot of things that I, uh, you know, I'm working on. But... Um, I can't write about the new man and looking at yourself and walking with mirrors if I'm not doing it myself. And so here's the thing. I think that every man should lead by example. And I think that the men around them will notice it. You know, I am, I'm around men all day. I'm around with all different ages of guys who I work out with, who I'm hanging out with, who I'm coaching and stuff. And um, I want them to uh, see me in my journey and, and me trying to redefine myself and to, to live higher or to be vulnerable. Um, and kind of like, I'm a guy. So like I love motorcycles and I'm a, I'm a total guy. Like I, you know, um, I, I, <laughs> like I'm classic masculine, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm masculine that, you know, I, I mean, I don't go camping. Like if I, if I don't have a hairdryer, I can't go camping. So I don't know, but I'm a guy, like I like motorcycles. I like, you know, I'm very, um, I'm into, to working out other, just whatever guys like. Right. And, um, but I'm also like, I like poems and, I, and I like buying people flowers and writing them notes and it's okay. And I think that's my definition of man is like, I, I don't think that, a, you know, a, a guy is all about, you know, building something with this hammer and steamrolling people and not talking about his feelings. And that's my challenge to all men is to redefine what a guy looks like, you know, what a man looks like and, and see if you can live that uh, and not only for you, but also for the world, because I think we're lacking them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have a lot of people creating unsafe spaces, you know. So there's this great book um, by David Dida, and he talks a lot about the essence of a human being, and that we we possess both the masculine and the feminine energy. And so, in under better understanding your essence, are you talking about the superior man? Yes. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I love that book. Yeah. Uh, that book changed my life when I got a divorce anyway, yeah. Well, so maybe you can talk about that a little bit because I I was given that book as well and it was very kind of educational for me personally in, in identifying my own masculine tendencies mm-hmm. but also stepping into my feminine because I was so fearful of, of, of being, of accepting the power that comes with being a woman. So I'm curious, like, how did it shift your perspective? Because I do, I do really love that book. I think it's powerful, um, and I'd love for you to speak about it a little bit. Um, there was a lot, that, you know. I think the strength in that book is, it, yeah, it talks about the masculine energy, the feminine energy. Um, I, I like that book for me because it shook up definitions. You know, like um, having feminine feminine energy doesn't mean that you are weak, right? Um, and and having masculine energy doesn't make you. Um, like this, like chest pounding gorilla thing. I mean, it's, it's, we all have these energies and it's like, I think it's like finding the, the, it's like an equalizer where you have the base, the treble and all this kind of, and you're finding the right frequency that works for you. But I think what's important isn't that what's important is that you keep challenging yourself and that it's not stuck on one station. It's not snuck on, you know what I'm saying? Or it's stuck on a, um, because the cool thing to do is have loud bass. That's what it's turned on. Or because other people think this is what a man looks like. I think it's time for all men to redefine what um, uh, masculinity and real man look like. And I think it's time for all women to set a new standard. Hmm. And I think that will help us create healthier experiences, healthier relationships. So we're not cementing um, old beliefs and um, participating in, you know, a behavior that is unhealthy for ourselves and, and you know, puncturing our self-esteem, our self-worth. That is such an overwhelming statement (laughs) because uh, I I just see so many kind of broken people walking around because as you talk about having a fatherless nation and not having that like pillar of a man kind of shape and guide you and and steep you with love or in, you know, in the space of love. And also, as you talk about the women that's prey, you know, there's just so many dynamics. But then you talk about leading by example. So, of course for a more uh, self-actualized human being, if they can step into that power and start educating others, you know, I think the tricky part here is, and, 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 and I talk a lot about this in terms of feminism, you know, there's such battles between women in defining feminism. Right. And, and really for me, what I've come to understand it, and I feel that the, the most powerful tool about it is simply allowing women to choose the kind of woman that they want to be right. without right. judging others. And so potentially that is the same thing that we would ask of men. Yes. That's why I'm not trying to put my definitions on, on, on men. That's why I'm saying what's important is that you start redefining and what works for you, what you believe a man looks like. It's all about creating that dialogue. It's not about me. Um, placing my beliefs on on any guy or any man, you know, I have my definitions and my standards I try to live up to and you should have yours. So let me ask you this and if this is too personal, you don't have to answer. As you are in the world of dating and you found yourself single, but you want to love hard. What does this woman look like for you? Um, <laughs> physically, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> what does she look like for me? Oh, man, you know what? I, I, I always go back to this and it might be a little too abstract, but I need to see home in someone's eyes. And uh, that means that she's supportive. She doesn't have to like um, like what I do, but she has to be supportive in it. And uh, she has to have her own life. She has to not assassinate my character. That's a huge red flag for me. Um, she has to show herself. 
Um, she has to be vulnerable, or, or at least you know, at least try to with the best of her ability. I, I like I'm into monogamy, so you know, she has to be authentic. She has to be real, you know, all that stuff. She just has to be herself, and 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 if that's not there, she has to be um, on a path of going there. And I, and I could that's okay, you know, because um, I think I don't think we you know. Uh, any of us are that enlightened where we're like the finished product. I think we're always evolving and tripping and building. So that's, I don't really, and of course there has to be connection and attraction and all that, you know, other than that, I don't allow myself to make it like she has to be a certain height or she has to look a certain way or she has to make a certain amount of money. Um, I think it's, I think that's being narrow. And I think you're, you're, uh, you're, you're going to turn your ocean into a plastic swimming pool. Hmm. You do and I think I like I like the word that they use the word home because I, I think that also can kind of be a great magic, if you will. You know, you talk about finding yeah. like that chemistry, that magic, um, and maybe that is the adjective that you use to describe it. If it's it, it feels like home. But home is also safe, right? That's the feeling that you want from your relationships, you know. And so so with women, I encourage women to. Um, and women are usually not about like looks, right? Women are more about, um, and this is a generalization, of course, you know, women have eyes. I mean, you know, you have your preferences and all that. But I encourage women to put all the weight on a man's ability to create a safe space. Mm -hmm. So whatever that looks like. I think that should trump abs, whatever, you know, money or whatever else that you guys find attractive in a man. His ability to create a safe space is going to be sustaining. So if he has that, you can now build something that's going to last. If he doesn't have that, I don't care if he has a Ferrari or a big bank account or a big penis or whatever you guys like, it's going to be it's going to be built on sand. Like you're not going to have a relationship, you know? And yeah. you you're you're setting yourself up for something that is going to be a bad experience and short-lived. And then you're gonna be like, oh fuck, there's nothing good out there. You're gonna be discouraged and negative. But I think, of course, you have to be attracted to the person and 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 whatever all that looks like for you. But I think that everything should come below one's ability to create a safe space for you. But you know, all of that what you're saying takes a couple dates or maybe even more than that to really oh, yeah, yeah. understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't that's why that's that's why this generation, it's like ten minutes and it's like a yes or no and it's like you gotta peel the onion a little bit, you know? And I think for men, you know, and I and I get men are more visual creatures, right? That's a fact. I get all that, but I think men should reveal themselves more and and and, uh, and not ghost and show up and do all that, you know? And I think men should be more interested in finding out who she is more than what she looks like. I'm going to get to the end of this podcast conversation, but I, I just today I had a conversation with a man who's divorced and he's in his late 40s um, with a child. And he said to me, frankly speaking, you know, he's like, there's two kinds of women. There's a woman who's attractive and you want to see her naked, but she brings nothing to the table with her intellect. Or there's a woman who has intellect, but you don't want to see naked. So rare that you meet a woman that has both. And right. I kind of just felt like I really didn't know how to respond to that, to be honest. <laughs> well, here's my response. That's his truth. And so that's basically how he's going to see the world. Mm. So in his world, that's what's going to happen. There, and it's probably honest. He's probably being very honest. So in his world, there will only be two types of women. There will be the, the uh, hot, attractive woman who doesn't bring a lot to the table and what, blah, blah, blah. And then there will be the unattractive woman who, who is whatever that he wants emotionally. Um, and, and that makes me very sad because those are going to be his only choices because right. that's his belief and that's the way he wants to see the world. Um, I don't see the world that way because if I did, I would be very, I would be alone for the rest of my life. <laughs> no, that's um, a good, that's a good point. Of course there are women with both. 
you know? You just gotta work for it. I think you have to attract it. You have to not chase it, but you have to attract it. And the way that you attract it is by making yourself more attractive, you know, by working on you mm -hmm. and, and changing your perspective. I'll bet you if he changes perspective, he would find someone or have a higher chance of finding someone in the middle then. Don't even yeah. challenge me because I'm gonna take that challenge. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> um, oh, to, to tell, you're gonna tell him, is that what you're saying? Yeah, of course. I'm like, I'm in the process of like figuring out how to properly coach people. So that to me is like such an interesting mm -hmm. challenge of like gently nudging someone to shift their opinion a little bit. But so let's get towards the end of this because I ask everybody the same questions at the end. Um, I know we've really only touched and scratched the surface of all the things that you do and, and, and you know, your expertise is so far beyond women and men and dating. Um, and I'll, I'll link all that stuff in our show notes. But part of the two pillars on which this platform stands, one being speak your truth. I know we've talked a lot of truths here, but what would be kind of the one defining truth that you preach or that you believe in or that you are that you could share with us today? Um, first, I want to say that I forgot we were on a podcast, which is a total compliment to you <laughs> because I feel like we're just having a, a good conversation, which is great, right? That's always what you want. Um, my, my, my uh, if I was to leave something, um, if I was to leave some kind of breadcrumbs, I would be to trust your story because everyone wants to rip out chapters and everyone wants to deny your tr their truth and they're very um, embarrassed or they have shame around who they were, what they've been through, what they've done. And so by doing that, again, you know, going back to what we started this conversation about connecting with yourself, just disconnecting with parts of themselves. If you trust and embrace and accept your story, you get to a point, a tipping point where your story becomes bigger than you. And this is what we're doing. You know, you're sharing your stories about eating disorders and your journey, and I've been sharing mine for the last 10 years. Um, now, my story, I've accepted it because it's bigger than me. It's not even mine anymore. It's like, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And I think that's when you maneuver at a higher frequency, a through-me life instead of a to-me life. And I think that's when you're very empowered, and that's where there's very little ego. You know, I have, I'll, I'll tell anyone about any part of my story. You know, mm -hmm. no matter how how embarrassed I am, because once once you get embarrassed about your story, then you're making it about you. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. That's good to know because I've been thinking about this a lot. The other one is champion flaws. If you have mm -hmm. flaws, I'm assuming you do. Um, that you are. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. Yeah, let's correct that statement. <laughs> I have zero flaws. Yeah, I I believe that your imperfections are what make you perfect. You know, I believe that your crooked smile, your big nose, the chip in your tooth, or the way you walk or the way you see your world is what makes you a diamond that makes you a snowflake, not a snowball, you know? Mm. Um, the way you speak, the way you think, um, all, everything, because we judge ourselves so bad. The way that we judge, our, I, I think the things that we think are the most wrong about us um, are actually the most attractive if mm. we embrace them, you know? And you have to be with someone who can see that because that's creating a safe space, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What would you say is the lesson that took you the longest to learn? Oh, man, so many lessons. Um, right now, I'm, 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 uh, I'm very confused about love and dating because that's the space that I'm in. And, by, and it's not bad. Like, I don't think because you're confused, it means – so it, it, to me, when you're confused, it's a great chance to relearn. It's a great chance to start all over, have a blank canvas. It's, and so with me, like dating and women and relationships and love, I've just become very wide. Uh, and by wide, I'm not saying that I'm like whoring myself out. I'm saying uh, mentally um, not judging anything and just being very curious about every connection. So whether it's me Skyping with you here or if I'm on a coffee date with someone, no judgment, 
just be in the moment and taking the experience without any kind of checklist, any kind of ego. And I'm learning that like, if you do that, you learn a lot about yourself, about, you know, love about other people, about all that stuff. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's where I'm at. No, you did. You did. <laughs> yeah. What do you think your 14 year old self would say and think about you now? Wow. Oh man. My 14 year old self, uh, what would he say about me? I don't know what he would say about me, but here's what I do think. I, and this is um, um, important to me. I think my 14-year-old self would want to hang out with me. Hmm. I think my 14-year-old self wouldn't see me as um, some kind of bearing, uh, you know, finger-pointing adult figure, but actually would genuinely like me. And that makes me happy. That makes me proud that, that I could be a 44-year-old man who... Uh, a 14-year-old boy would want to hang out with. I love that, especially since what you said about your father. I think that's a really beautiful moment. Mm, thank you. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, I always ask everyone to fill in the sentence, Alianka, you really should be asking this. What do you feel I should be asking? To me or the world? Or to you? Whatever. Your interpretation. Holy shit. That's like, that's, that question is so much pressure on it. Loaded. Um, Alianka, you should be asking... You should be asking people why, why they're scared of themselves. Mm. That's a huge one. Yeah, it's a broad statement, but I think it's, um, I think we all have a fear of ourselves and that's why we're running the other way. Yeah, that, that owning your power, if you will. Yeah, swimming, swimming towards you instead of away. Yeah, huh, okay. I'm gonna think about that actually today. Yeah. I, I thank you so much for doing this. It felt like it was a five minute conversation, although I see it's been an hour. Yeah, thank you. Your wisdom and your ability to just like show up and be vulnerable and raw and kind of unapologetically you in the best way possible. It, it really, to me, that is the definition of a man. And it's really refreshing and nice to see a man be open and, and himself and without any defense mechanisms or without trying to prove himself otherwise. So so thank you for you. No, oh, thank you. What a compliment. And um, yeah, thank you for helping me create this conversation. And uh, thanks for everything you do. It's, um, it's, it's good, it's noble, and we need it, so thanks. John posts a lot, and you can find him on all the social medias, on Twitter, at Angry Therapist, on Instagram, at Angry Therapist, Facebook, at The Angry Therapist, his medium where all his writings are, at Angry Therapist. You can watch him on YouTube, you can listen to his podcast, The Angry Therapist Podcast. Make sure to pick up his book, The Angry Therapist, a no guide to finding and living your own truth if you're looking for a life coaching seminar life coaching training go to shift shft.com you can also buy angry therapist gear there's a lot of john kim so make sure you follow him if you love what you heard today you found quotable and tweetable moments share that into the universe mention me on instagram and i'll make sure to regram that please go on to the itunes store and rate and review this podcast and if you have any questions concerns suggestions for future guests email me alianka at aliancalariano.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>